Good morning. Welcome to Sovereign Grace. My name is Chad. I am the senior pastor here. We are going to be looking this morning together at Genesis chapter 8, verses 1 through 19. We're going to read verses 1 through 19 as we continue the story of the flood, the judgment of God and the salvation of Noah and his family and the creatures on the ark. We left off in this story where the ark, if you will, had set sail and the world had been flooded and the waters increased and prevailed over the whole of the earth. We left off there and now we pick up reading in Genesis 8 and verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the water had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons And his wife and his son's wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we ask that you would help us this morning as we consider your word. That your spirit would give light. That we would understand, that we would hear what he is saying to the churches. 
We pray that the head of the church, our Lord Jesus, would speak clearly by the Spirit through the Word this morning. That we might have our minds renewed and our hearts transformed more and more into the image of your Son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you all know and probably comment upon the more that you age, the manner in which you're often forgetful. Though you've probably been forgetting things your entire life, like where's my wallet? Or I've forgotten where I've placed my keys. Or I forgot who this person even is. You've probably been having that your whole life, but the older you get, the more self-conscious you get about it and pin it on age. And maybe to some degree, there are age issues happening there that are messing with your memory. But children, you know this as well because you forget that you had a homework assignment or you forget that you had a chore that your parents asked you to do or you forget any number of things. You leave something behind when you're going to a sports practice or you leave something in the hotel when you're on a trip or, or what have you. We all have failing memories. We struggle to remember all those things that are before us. Our recall of things that we once knew is not what we wish it was. We all forget things. We all forget them. I've forgotten to bring my glasses to morning worship. This morning, I forgot to upload my sermon to the cloud so that it would appear on my iPad. We forget things. This is what happens. Our memories fade and we forget. So what is it that Moses means when he says in Genesis 8-1, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. What does he mean when he says God remembered Noah? Does he mean that God had once forgotten Noah and now was reminded or has recall? I want you to think about the scene here. God, in the midst of a wicked world, graciously set apart Noah and covenanted with him. So look at Genesis 6 and verse 8. Look there, after the Lord speaks about the wickedness of the world, it said, but Noah found favor or grace in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord had been gracious to Noah, and in that gracious relation toward Noah, there was a covenant. In other words, that gracious relation between God and Noah was structured by a covenantal bond with particular promises and obligations. So you can see that if you look at Genesis 6:18. But I will establish, that's the continuing, the making good of a word prior, you know, formally given, if you will. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. So here's the covenant. I'm going to be good to you and to your family after you. I'm going to bring you into an ark to save you through the floodwaters of this judgment for a greater purpose. I've told you already, there's both a universal aspect to this in as much as God is going to save all mankind and really repopulate the earth with both man and animals, a kind of preservation aspect to this, and a particular aspect to this. He's going to save Noah. 
and he's going to save his people through the seed of the woman who will come through Noah. And so we're told that this is happening, and Noah is in this covenant in which the Lord comes to him, says to him in his first speech to him, listen, I'm going to flood the whole earth. So we see that first speech after God had seen that the earth is wicked. We see that first speech in Genesis 6.13. And God said to Noah, and the first speech is this, I am going to flood the whole earth and destroy mankind for his wickedness, so you make an ark. And you and your family get on the ark, and you bring animals onto the ark according to their kinds, male and female. If you remember, in the second speech to Noah, he says, not only build it, Noah builds it, and then he says, now get on it, for in seven days the flood is coming. So he commands Noah and his family to get on it, and he says, when you bring the animals by their kinds, male and female, bring seven pairs of clean animals and one pair of unclean animals. And so they board the ark. And when they board the ark, then the floodwaters on that very day that they board the ark, the floodwaters come upon the earth from both below and above. And we hear this language again and again after the Lord shuts them in graciously to the ark to protect them from the floodwaters of his judgment. We hear this language again and again, and the waters prevailed upon the earth. The waters increased upon the earth. The waters triumphed over the earth so that God blotted out every living thing save those who were on the ark. And when we pick up Genesis 8-1, after we've heard about this sort of, if you will, decreation event, an event in which the creation has been taken to a state where once the waters covered the whole earth and God separated them and made the earth both habitable and then inhabited it, Now in that state, the waters again have covered the earth in a kind of decreation event. And after months on the ark, we read this. But God remembered Noah. God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. Here's the question. What does that mean? God remembered Noah. What did God, after months of Noah being on the ark, sort of looked down and go, oh no, I forgot about Noah. I better save him. No, that's not what it means. It does not mean that God forgot Noah in the sense that he lost sense of himself or had no recall about the fact that Noah was out there on the ark. So what does it mean? What does it mean if it doesn't mean that? What does it mean that God remembered Noah? Well, I want to consider that this morning. I want to look at that really under two headings. The first heading is this, the God who remembers. The God who remembers. The second heading is this, how do we respond to the God who remembers? How do we respond to him? So we're going to consider the God who remembers And then how we respond or reply to the God who remembers. So let's look first at the God who remembers. What does it mean, in verse 1, that God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark? Let me say what it first does not mean. It does not mean that it had previously slipped his mind. And now it was brought back to memory. 
It's not like, it is not like when I can't find my wallet and then I stop and think, okay, I need to retrace my steps. What was I doing? And then, oh yeah, now I remember where it is. It is not like that. It's also true when we consider what Scripture records about God forgetting something. That God forgets something. So, for example, in Isaiah 43, 25, I am he. I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. If you remember in this passage, in Genesis 6 and 7, God is remembering the sins of the wicked, and he is blotting them out. Blotting the breath of life out of them, if you will. And here he says, I will blot out your transgressions, and I will not remember your sins. What's the Lord saying? He's not saying that he will forget our sins in the sense that they're erased from his mind. That somehow he's lost some part of omniscience and he's no longer all-knowing and that's just slipped out of there. What he's saying is that though he can know and recall all things because he's God, what he's saying is he will not hold them against us. He will not hold them against us. Whereas God remembered, if you will, the sins of the wicked in Noah's day and blotted them out. In the case of Noah, he remembered Noah and blotted out his sins, forgave him, and put it away. The idea here is that the Lord is not going to hold up before his own eyes our sin and deal with us in accord with them, he will forgive us. He will forget our sins and deal with us mercifully. Well, similarly, God does not forget his people. He remembers us. He does not forget his promises. He remembers them. So then what does it mean when we say God remembered Noah? Well, this is covenantal language. It's this language that the Lord has graciously bound himself in relation to Noah to save him. That's what I pointed out at the beginning in chapter 6, verse 8, and chapter 6, verse 18. God is committed to keeping his promise to Noah. He is a covenant-keeping God. He's always faithful to his promises and to his people. We actually see the Lord remember people in a variety of ways. He remembers Abraham by saving Lot. That language is used. Remember, Abraham intercedes on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Lord remembers Abraham and saves Lot. He remembers Rachel by opening her womb. He does the same in the case of Hannah, remembering her by opening her womb and giving her Samuel. But I want to look at a more explicit example than even those. Look at Exodus chapter 2. The Lord's 
Remembering someone is the Lord, if you will, this is language for the Lord, keeping his covenant promise, caring for his people. Look at Exodus chapter 2. If you remember, Israel has been in slavery under Egypt. They've been in the land of Egypt for in excess of 400 years. They're under the harsh slavery of Pharaoh. And we read this in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac. And with Jacob, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. See, this is the Lord remembering his promise to Abraham and his offspring. He has not forgotten them. As Noah waited months and months upon the ark for the fruition of God's promise to save him, so Israel waited for over 400 years for the Lord to rescue them from Pharaoh. But the Lord is the God who hears, who remembers, who sees, and who knows. Did you hear that, Sovereign Grace? The Lord hears your groaning. He hears the groaning of the whole creation as they eagerly await the revealing of the sons of God. He hears your groaning. The Lord remembers his covenant promises to be good to you and to your children after you. He sees you. He sees you. Your suffering and your waiting does not go unnoticed. He knows. He knows. Like a father or a mother knows with deep intimacy the pain of their children... So the Lord knows you. So the Lord knows you. And the Lord remembers his covenant promises to be good. We hear this again and again throughout scripture. Look with me at Luke chapter 1. I've pulled only a few examples to make this point as clearly as I can without going on all morning. Just a good portion of the morning. Luke 1. I want to consider Mary's Magnificat. This is where she, when filled by the Holy Spirit, prays or speaks out, even in something that is much like a song. I'm sure it could be sung. As Mary hears about the Lord who has been conceived in her womb, the Messiah who is to come, And it's filled by the Holy Spirit. We read her song of praise. And when you look down at verse 54, look what she says. Luke 1, verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. See, when the people of Israel were under the 
slavery in Egypt, outside of the land, under oppression from this foreign king. The Lord heard, the Lord remembered his promise to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And the Lord sent a deliverer, Moses, to bring them out of Egypt and to the promised land. And when Israel was again being prevailed upon by a foreign nation, in this case Rome, and they had been under four nations, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and now Rome. And the Lord, in the fullness of time, at this moment, is sending forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. When that moment happens, and we hear reflection on it, we once again hear that the Lord remembers. What? His covenant promises to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Look again at Luke chapter 1 and verse 72. Remember Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. He was mute until the birth of John. And then he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he prophesies. And look down at verse 72 as he prophesies. What is the Lord doing? To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. At the coming of Christ, we hear that the Lord remembered his holy covenant the mercy he promised to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Christ is the offspring of Abraham, the son of David, the seed of the woman, the one for whom Israel and the nations waited ever since the fall of man into sin. The Lord did not forget his people those many millennia. The Lord remembered. The Lord remembered. Though we waited we waited thousands of years suffered struggled assaulted by the world and the flesh and the devil and wondered wondered and struggled with has the lord forgotten us though we struggled with that the Lord tells us again and again throughout Scripture that he remembers us. He is the God who has made promises that he does not forget. And in the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who were under the law. And if the Lord did not spare his own Son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The Lord remembers his covenant promises to his people. Now, how does God's remembrance show up here in Genesis 8? So look back there with me. Let's look at how his remembrance of Noah shows up in this passage. And as we read it, I want you to note some repetitive terms. I want you to note them. We're going to look at verses 2 through 14. But I want you to note first some repetitive terms. I want you to note the terms dried up and subsided and receded 
and restrained and abated. In other words, I want you to note the continual repetition of the terms that the waters are now separating and the dry ground is appearing because those are a direct contrast to the continually repetitive terms in chapter 7, particularly from verse 17 and following, where it's the waters increased and the waters prevailed and the waters triumphed and the waters greatly increased and the waters greatly prevailed. You guys understand? Now you get the opposite kind of language. The waters dried up. They subsided. They receded. They were restrained. They were abated. So let's look at that. Verse 2 and following. After the Lord, we will come back to this. The Lord made a wind blow over the earth and the water subsided. That's the first one at the end of verse 1. But let's continue reading. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. That's a region in what would be like Armenia, if you will. Keep going. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. They had to have subsided for a tree to grow and have freshly plucked leaves then here. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. In the 600th and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Are you guys seeing it? What we have here is that God is beginning to recreate the earth, if you will, Return it to its state prior to his cleansing it with the judgment of floodwaters. He's doing that by the blowing of his wind. Look again at verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. He's doing that by the, if you will, blowing of his wind and bringing about dry ground. Now I don't want you to miss this. This Word here for wind, ruach, is spirit or wind or breath. And it blew over the earth. It really, if you will, hovered over the earth in Genesis 1-2. So keep your hand in Genesis 8 and look at Genesis 1. In the beginning, verse 1, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Or it was uninhabitable 
and uninhabited. And why is that? Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering, or the Ruach was hovering over the face of the waters. The waters had covered the earth, and there is the Spirit of God. Now the first thing we see God speak is light. Separating light from darkness. But the second thing that he speaks is the Lord speaks and the waters begin to separate. So that you have the sky above separated from the firmament, etc. And then you get this, verse 9 of Genesis 1. And God spoke or said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. And let the dry land or dry ground appear and it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were together, gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And as a result of that, we read this, verse 11. And God said that the earth sprout vegetation. To the dry ground appears now the vegetation sprouting. And that's what you see in the dove, if you will, flying over and bringing back a freshly plucked olive leaf. The Spirit of God has blown a kind of wind upon the earth that separates the waters in the original creation so that dry ground appears, the waters are restrained, and now life comes forth on the earth. And after the cleansing of the flood judgment, again, here is the Spirit of God blowing a wind across the earth and separating the waters so that dry ground appears, and now life is sprouting forth again, and the earth is once again Habitable. The watery covering over the earth is blown back. The waters are separated by the Spirit of God. And the dry ground appeared. This was God's remembrance of Noah and all creation. He was delivering them through the waters of judgment to dry ground. Even to a mountain where they would worship. Now we'll see this again in Exodus. So look over at Exodus 14 briefly. We see this again, this same language. And look at verse 21. This is the scene of just after Passover. Israel's coming out of Egypt. They've now crossed through the Red Sea. Remember the Lord again parts the waters by the Spirit. And Israel walks through on dry ground. So look there. Exodus 14 and verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind. Ruach. All night. And made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. The waters being a wall to them. On their right hand and on their left. Now go to verse 28 of Exodus 14. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. So here's the flood waters of God's judgment poured out on Egypt. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea. And the waters being a wall to them on their right hand. And on their left, see the Lord heard their groans. The Lord remembered his covenant. The Lord saw and the Lord knew and the Lord delivered them. Thus the Lord 
saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And then what happens? The people sang this song to the Lord. They see his deliverance and they sing of him as their redeemer. They sing. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. And they go on to speak of the Lord's bringing them through the floodwaters of judgment on dry ground and saving them and destroying their enemies. And as with the ark on Mount Ararat, so with Israel they're brought to the mountain to praise the Lord and dwell with him. Verse 17 of chapter 15, you will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. You see, this is your God. The God who in the face of your sin graciously makes promises to you. And though you often wonder where he is, he does not forget you. The thing he forgets because of Christ is your sin. What he does not forget is you. He remembers you. This is your God. How do we respond to such a God as this? I want to say there are three responses to the God who remembers us. There are more, but I'll give you these three. The first one is patiently trust. Patiently trust the Lord's covenant promise to be good to you. To be good to his people. Patiently trust. That's what Noah is doing again and again. When you see him in Genesis chapter 8, verse 6, and verse 8, and verse 10, and verse 12 and verse 13, opening up, if you will, the window, sending out a raven, sending out a dove, opening the lid to see. He's looking for the dry ground because he's patiently trusting the Lord's covenant promise to be good to him. He knows the Lord will not forget him. He knows that in the face of a situation in which he suffered long as the Lord has delayed. He's on the ark for month after month after month. The Lord had flooded the earth. It does not take month after month after month to drown your enemies. Yet the Lord left him there. I'm sure struggling with, where are you? When are you going to remember your promise? Yes, we will suffer in a number of ways, 
saints, a number of ways that suffering that will not, if you will, terminate this side of death. Will not. And I know that thought is painful for all of us. It's a painful thought, particularly for those who are suffering tremendously even now. Some of you have difficult marriages right now. There seems no end in sight because your spouse is not walking in faith and repentance and and no matter how much you plead with the Lord, your spouse seems to never repent and trust him. And you wonder, will I always, always walk in this kind of marriage? Does the Lord hear my groans? Does he remember me? Does he see? Does he know? Perhaps your child is suffering. And there seems no end in sight to that. And you wonder what will become of this life that was once a kind of bright star for whom you had so many hopes. And you plead with the Lord and you seem to see no fruit. Does he hear my groans? Does he remember his promises to be good to me and my children? Does he see? Does he know? Or maybe your life is riddled with physical and mental anguish. The Lord has given you a difficult lot in which you suffer, sometimes to the degree that death seems a welcome friend rather than the enemy that it is. And you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and no relief. Does the Lord hear my groans? Does he remember me? Does he see? Does he know? Perhaps you stand before the Lord and you're ridiculed and persecuted and suffer the loss of finances or Some of folks may be imprisoned or put to death for their faith. Some have throughout the history of Christianity. And no matter how much you cry out for justice, it does not seem to come. Does not seem to come. Does the Lord hear our groans? Does he remember us? Does he see? Does he know? See, we all struggle with that, don't we? Look at Psalm 77. Psalm 77. I want to encourage you to trust the Lord that he remembers you. Psalm 77. I want you to hear what this Psalm of Asaph says. I cry aloud to God. Aloud to God and and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago, 
I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? You ever prayed that way? All night, my eyes are kept open by this suffering and the anxiety that comes with it, this trouble. I wonder if the Lord hears, has he forgotten me? Has he forgotten to be gracious? Has he turned his loving kindness from me? I see nothing before me that indicates to me that he's remembered me. What does the psalmist, what does Asaph go on to say? Look at verse 10. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You've made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. What does this psalmist, what does Asaph appeal to? when it seems from everything he can tell that God has forgotten him. He appeals to the character and deeds of the Lord. Most expressly, he goes back to the great redemptive event of the Exodus. Of the Exodus. If you're the God who did that, you will not forget me. You have not forgotten me. Listen, folks, as glorious, as unbelievable in some sense to our minds that the flood and the ark coming through it seem, as incredible of a redemptive act as that seems to us, as miraculous as the flood at the Red Sea upon Pharaoh's armies while the people of Israel go through on dry ground, as miraculous as that redemptive event seems to us, Noah's Ark and the parting of the Red Sea don't even hold a candle to the God who created all things. The Son of God becoming incarnate 
becoming the creature, taking humanity to himself, and being humiliated. The lawgiver being put under the law. Don't even come close to the author of life suffering death for us. That great redemptive event in which Jesus had the floodwaters of God's wrath poured out upon himself in our place, the Holy One becoming the curse for us. In that great redemptive event, we see something infinitely greater than the redemption we see in Noah's Ark or in the Exodus. Infinitely greater. The Son of God condemned in our place. Resurrected from the dead. Ascending to the right hand of the Father where he rules and reigns and where he tells us in this high priestly prayer that it is his great privilege that his people would be with him where he is to see his glory. Do you think if the Lord has done all that for you, that he's forgotten you. Of course he has not forgotten you. Consider that the Lord was stricken and afflicted for your sin. Holy, innocent, undefiled, yet struck down, humiliated, and suffering under the wrath of God for you and your sins. Consider that Jesus suffered that way all the way to death on the cross for the joy that was set before him. And what was that joy? To ascend to the right hand that he might be seated in heaven as the head of his church and that he might save you and bring you home to see his glory. This is your God. This is your God. Trust that he remembers you. Trust that he remembers you. He has not forgotten you. Second, obey. Obey his word. Obey him. Noah, we see again and again, it repeated. He did all that the Lord commanded him. He obeyed the Lord. The commands of the Lord are good. They're holy, righteous, and good. They're not burdensome to Christ's people. Walk in them. I spent a whole sermon on Noah's faith, hope, and love, so I won't press into that much further. Third, pray. Pray and sing without ceasing. Maybe I should say this. Give the Lord no rest in your prayers. Listen to Isaiah 62, Zion's coming salvation. I just want you to hear Verse 6 and 7. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night, they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance. Now listen, take no rest. You who put the Lord in remembrance. You are the rememberers. God has remembered you, and you are those who remember him. Now listen. What he says. Take no rest and give him the Lord. Give him no rest. Rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. In other words, do not give the Lord any rest until he brings his consummate 
glory to the earth. Give him no rest. Pray and sing unceasingly. That's why we gather on the Lord's day, morning and evening. That's why you need to be in the word and prayer morning and evening every other day. Because we want to give the Lord no rest. We want to be like the widow who is constantly knocking at the door, trusting the Lord to remember us for good. So that we can pray and we can sing Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy. And the God of my salvation. Let me pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to be a people who know that you remember us, that you have graciously blotted out our sins and forgotten them, and yet you have remembered us. You keep your covenant promises. May we trust you and obey you and give you no rest. As we pray and sing and look forward to the day that your son returns. Come soon, Lord Jesus, come soon. That we might see your glory fill all the earth fully and finally. That we might know the day where there is no more sorrow or sadness, or sin, nor weeping but joy forevermore in the Lord Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.